You are listening to episode number 183 of the Pioneering Today podcast. On today's episode, we're going to be talking about living off grid. So making the move to no running water and no electricity, at least not from like our public water system, public electric system, public utilities, all of that in really living, going back in time, but doing it in modern day to an off grid homestead, much like the pioneers did. Now, don't worry. Even if you are not of the mind, you're like, you know, I think it sounds awesome, but I'm not in a place. And it might not be a desire of yours to go that radical or to go completely off grid. But as you're going to discover as you listen to today's episode, there's some really great things that we can glean from that way of life and implement even if we're not going off grid. So if you still have electricity, you have running water, there's definitely some lessons from today's episode that you're going to take away and get value from that can still apply. And of course, if that's something that really interests you, then you are going to love today's episode. Let me officially welcome you to the Pioneering Today podcast if you are a brand listener or if you're a longtime listener. Either way, I'm so glad to have you here. High five. My name is Alyssa K. Norris. I'm the host of said podcast as well as the founder of the Pioneering Today Academy, author of The Made From Scratch Life and the book Handmade. And this is the spot where we don't just inspire you, but give you the clear steps to create the homegrown garden, pantry, kitchen, and life you want for your family and homestead with or without the full-on farm. I have a couple of guests on the podcast today. And I'm going to let them tell their story because it's one that I find super fascinating, especially when someone goes to not having any type of this homesteading, grow-it-yourself background, and then they dive full in like both feet and totally immerse themselves and change their entire way of life. And I know for some of you, that's where you're coming from. You didn't grow up with this. You don't have really many of these skill sets. It was something that you needed to learn from the get-go. And then others of us are on different, obviously, different places on this path and in this journey. So have some different skill sets. But I think that there's quite a lot that we can glean. And I think you're going to enjoy hearing this story and getting some of this information just as much as I did. So to get any of the links to today's episode, because we're going to be talking about quite a few things and some additional resources that you can go and check out to dive in even further. You can get all of those links for today's episode and the full-on blog post that will accompany it at melissaknorris.com forward slash 183. Okay, let's get right to today's interview. Thank you guys so much for coming on the show. I'm just thrilled to have not one, but both Doug and Stacy, so both parts of the duo here on the Pioneering Today podcast. Welcome, you guys. Hey, how's hey, it going? Hey, how are you doing today? I am so excited to have you guys on. I think that your story is super fascinating, and I want to dig into it, and then I've got, you've got a project that I've actually got some questions on because it's something I haven't put into effect on our homestead yet. It's like on my homestead bucket list. I know everybody listening, like we've all got those bucket lists of things that we're going to do. This is going to be kind of my, my time to pick your guys' brain too before I get it in. But 
To begin with, for those listeners and readers who maybe aren't as familiar with your guys' story, kind of give us a little bit about the whole off-grid with Doug and Stacy, like your guys' story. And such a story it is. So basically, we were a couple of city slickers who decided that we got kind of sick and tired of city life, and we wanted to have more control over our food and kind of like our time and our energy and just kind of slow down. So we went all in on the pioneer life. And also our health was a big part of it. So definitely all those things kind of went hand in hand just to kind of totally put the brakes on and change our whole way of living. Okay. So you guys were lived in the city. So did either of you have much country living or homesteading, any of those skill sets to speak of? You're just like, dude, we are sick of this. Like we're just jumping in both feet and we're making a pivot. The term city slickers pretty much sums it up. We had no experience (laughs) in any kind of lifestyle like this, really. Yeah, we were born and raised in the city. And I always tell a funny story because on our process moving out here to the country, we had moved into a one-bedroom apartment and we had a garden box. It was like a community garden. So we had a garden box. And I just remember this little bitty garden box. It was just a couple feet by a couple feet. It was hard for me to garden and keep up with the weeds. And I'm like, oh my gosh. And it maybe lasted a month or so. And then we kind of stopped doing what we were doing. And then now I look at what we're doing. It's just crazy how things go from one extreme to the other. And I'm fascinated by this because like, I'm super fortunate. I'm a fifth generation homesteader. You know, I was raised doing a lot of this. And I honestly thought in my naivety and living out of the country, like I thought everybody lived the way we did. Like I thought everybody had a garden and did a little bit of canning and raised some of their own food, cooked from scratch. It wasn't until later in life when I got out a little bit that I realized kind of what a precious gift I had been given. So I find your guys' story super fascinating. So you go from the city to one bedroom apartment, but you guys didn't just like say, hey, let's move to the country. Like let's get some yard and some acreage and start growing a garden and, and this kind of thing. You guys like jumped in and went off grid. How long have you been in your place that you are now? Like kind of walk us through that. Did you buy raw property? Walk me through that. I want to know. So basically when we were in the city, Stacy still had a full-time job. We're both business owners, but we liquidated the one business. We had a lawn care landscape business in town and I sold off all that stuff, the accounts and the equipment and everything. And she still wanted to do her job. She works with kids and with seniors and she really is passionate about what she does. So we had to make a circle basically around the area of travel distance that we were willing to travel for her to go to work every single day. That's what we did basically. And the hunt was on then for about 10, 11, 12 acres worth of land because we live debt free. We didn't want to have any more bills. That was one of the reasons why we left as well. We downsized everything and we wanted to have no bills, answer to nobody. So we could just kind of walk to the beat of our own drum. So we found this little parcel of land and all it had on it was um, external fencing and one barn on it. And that was it. No home, no well, no electricity, just a a raw slate. And how many years ago was that? So how long have you guys been in this lifestyle now? It'll be in July. It'll be eight years because when we had found the property, we were in the one bedroom apartment and Doug came down here a tent and he lived, it was July. And we knew we needed to have a home by winter because it was going to get cold. So he came in his tent and he worked, I mean, he worked his butt off and he worked and he got our log home built. It's about 600 square foot and it's just an 1800 style cabin. And he got it built in three months. And then I would come up on the weekends and visit. Then after those three months, we, I moved in. And then from there, we just kind of 
did the off-grid thing. <laughs> so you just kept the one-bedroom apartment just while you were building the actual house that you guys we, could live we in. We were in it for about a year. We came from we down- a 3,000 square foot home. So we wanted, we had to downsize cause you know, we were gonna move and we were, we actually we were looking at maybe even moving into a fifth wheel trailer or something like that, right? So a lot of that was being kind of popular then and people were talking about it. Um, we were looking into it. So we weren't sure how this was all gonna evolve, but we knew we were gonna downsize. So the transition was good for us to go to the one bedroom apartment to get us used to living in a tiny space. Plus it was refreshing to get rid of all the clutter and the stuff in our lives. After we did that, we got the property and then I was getting the wood out of the forest, having it milled, and then getting it ready to build the log cabin. So it took about a year process of living in that apartment to accomplish all that. And then 90 days from once we got the property to building the cabin. Okay. And I think that's super smart. I kind of want to pull a couple of things out there and talk about, I mean, it was a drastic change. Not only are you going from the city and running businesses and and having careers to transitioning to a completely different location and a different way of life because you knew that that's the way you were going to be moving moving into it it wasn't like just changing a location you were totally changing the focus of your guys's life and how you were living but i really like that you kind of took some baby transition steps in there especially as you said you went from that 3000 square foot home to that smaller apartment so it wasn't like you went from a 3,000 square foot home with all the normal amenities and then boom, you were in this off-grid cabin. You allowed your guys some time and some space and stuff to get used to that and make a transition. And I think that that can be really key if someone's going from an extreme, never having done this lifestyle at all. I think it's really important to do steps like that, especially when it's purchasing property and selling your home. And those are kind of more permanent things than just, I'm going to start a garden in my backyard this year type of a deal. Explain to me like, like the real deal when you did that. Did you find it hard when you first went to the cabin, Stacy, especially just because I'm a female. So I know that there's, you know, with girls sometimes, and I'm maybe making a statement where I shouldn't be, but I'm just assuming between me and my husband, like when we go totally off grid camping and stuff, there's certain aspects that as a lady that I like to have that care probably a little bit more than he does. Did you find the transition harder or not at all? Maybe it was reversed how that worked for you guys? <laughs> well, let's see. Let me just start off and just say, when we first moved here, like when we were in the apartment, of course, we had electricity, running water and all that. So when we were in the cabin, we had none of that. And I was still working five days a week. So for me, that was a little harder because Doug was here full time and I wasn't. So for me to get up, having to go to work and kind of go through all those things because we had a bathtub. I didn't have a shower or anything like that. We had to come up with creative ways for me, you know, that I had to take a bath during this, tra- during this time until we can get our systems in place. And what's funny about it is I look back now and I was suffering some health problems. You know, you're going through the menopausal years, you're doing this, and you know, you have hormone issues, you have things maybe with our diet that we're doing. So we're starting to change all these things. And then over the time I started noticing because I wasn't, taking a bath or a shower every single day, it would wash off and things like that. But I started noticing that my skin was getting better. I used to have dry, itchy skin. My hair was healthier. I mean, all these things started happening to me because I wasn't washing my microbiomes off of my body, you know, every single day with soap and water. You know, you just wash the, you know, the parts that need to, like your underarms and your private areas, and you take a bath, you wash your face or whatever, but just by doing certain things and, and not being too sanitized, 
which I guess is a good word for it, we were starting to get healthier and healthier. I mean, we kept ourselves clean. I don't want you to think that we're like a bunch of dirty bums or anything like that, but (laughs) we were living a way that was much more natural and we were eating, you know, pure food that we were growing. We were drinking good, clean water and our bodies were starting to detoxify. And from that, we were getting healthier and healthier. So it was just kind of crazy, you know, during that transition time, I guess for, you know, for a few months to, I was starting to cut back even on work. I went from five days to four days because Doug always said, you're not going to stop working. And I said, uh, um, oh, I really, are you, you're, you're going to eventually want to stop working. And I said, no, I love my job. And so now I'm down to two days a week right now, which is funny because I love it out here so much. Yeah. You know, it's so, I don't think that it's so cute when you're saying that you're thinking at all. Like I, I, I'll just put it right out there. I only shower like twice a week. I only wash my hair like twice a week and I kind of let my hair dictate. And I used to be same thing, you know, like it's kind of drilled into us. Like you need to wash your hair. You need to take a shower every single day. And you know, sponge bathing is great. It helps to conserve water. It really helps to conserve time. But I'm like you, I noticed that when I stopped doing that all the time. I used to have extremely dry skin, like flaky, almost painful dry skin um, and scalp and all of that. And by cutting that back, I noticed a lot of the same thing. So I thought that was really interesting when you were sharing that. And when we look back at like the pioneers, and especially I look back at my grandmother who was raised, uh, she was born in the early 1900s and was raised in Appalachia up in the hills, like true off grid. Um, you know, they took sponge baths, but they didn't shower and do complete baths and immersions and stuff like kind of modern society, like we do at all. I mean, even, and like get in real, like during the winter months, because the water was hand pumped, they didn't have hot water and it was a lot harder during those really cold winter months to get that much. They would go a long time and they would just do sponge baths and wash their hair in the sink, but not taking like a full body immersion shower or bath. I just thought that that was really interesting and I wanted to draw out, no, you're totally fine. Don't feel bad for, oh, no, I for think, saying you know, that. In this day and age, people are just so over sanitized and they are too clean. And I think it really affects the immune system. Doug, I feel healthier than I ever had. We're in our fifties now and we do, we feel healthier than we ever have, like in our twenties from my hair to everything, your fingernails, everything is just great. <laughs> if I could just back this up for a second. We've been here for eight years. We've had running water for, this is our third year. Okay. So five years, roughly, we hauled water to our property in one-gallon jugs and five-gallon buckets, okay? So just want to paint that picture for you. So when we took showers, we were taking showers out of one-gallon jugs. Like, Sitting in the bathtub with a, a stainless steel bowl. <laughs> or, or pouring over to each other on the outside, off the stairs or something, you know, on the outside. Or we would love it when we'd have a storm, a thunderstorm. It's like, hurry up, get the soap, and you go out there right. and stand and take a bath Just outside. Just to put this all into context. So when we got here, <laughs> we were still trying to figure out how our systems were going to be in place. If we were going to use solar, if we weren't, how expensive was it? What was the benefit? And after we broke all that down, and then it turned out we lived kind of close. We bought property without even knowing it kind of close to the Amish community, fell in love with their lifestyle. And obviously that was a great transition for us. We already had the log cabin. We were already committed to living the lifestyle. And then we just started learning from them and implementing a lot of the things that they're using here at our place. And that's where we're at now, eight years later, we've got our systems in place. We have a 3000 gallon gravity fed rain catchment system that I've implemented here on the property that feeds right to our sink now. So we have running water in the cabin. 
and the gardening and stuff. We went from using a team of Belgians and a plow and all the old school stuff to now raise beds and the wood chip back to Eden method. It's been a lot of transitioning and learning for us as well. And, you know, living the pioneer lifestyle is really what we've been doing all the way from developing the property to putting our systems in place and now sustaining ourselves, you know, year after year. Yeah. So when you were hauling the water, you didn't have like an outside well on the property that you were just hauling it into the house or did you? Or no, I mean, you hauling, hauling the water outside? like from places we could get water. Okay, that's <laughs> what I was, didn't, This okay. property didn't have a well. It doesn't have uh, public water or anything on it. So that was just something like we were like, that's cool. We'll buy the property and we can get a well. Then we go to get the well and it's like, oh, it could be like twenty to $30,000 for a well. So it's like, okay, let's rethink that. And then it took a while to try to figure out how we were going to move water and, you know, how it would work and what was safe, just everything about it. And then once we put that system into place, it's flawless. So it takes a little time to think about it and develop it. But, you know, that's kind of the pace. We were literally grabbing water at neighbor's houses, maybe in town when we were in town and living off of that. I think one of the big things that people miss just to kind of reflect on living maybe off grid or even going back living a simpler life or a pioneer life or just kind of scaling back as consumption. So they jump into this lifestyle. Maybe they come from a 3000 square foot house and the big flashy stuff and the bills and the business and the, this and the, that, and that's fine. But then they want to try to simplify, but go to the next place, but have all those same amenities, never curb their consumption. And then they don't have systems in place really to use to keep that lifestyle going. Yeah, because you get really good about knowing how much water it takes for, di <laughs> for dishes. I knew how many gallons I needed right. per week that I could do my dishes, about how much it would take for Doug to take a bath and for me to take a bath or shower, whatever you want right. to call it. And we knew with our water. And so like when we would go places or you go to someone's house or we go to a speaking engagement, we'd be in a hotel. We were so conscientious of the water. You take a shower, I would turn it off, wash up, turn it back on. I mean, it was just crazy. So I think people take that for granted. And it's, oh, here's the other one is, is, <laughs> is the toilet. Oh, amen, you know, sister. We have a composting toilet, which is basically a five-gallon bucket, and we use sawdust to cover it. And just the water that's used in, for the run for toilets. Yeah. I totally agree. And it's so funny because we have our own private well. So we live out rurally. We're on 14.96 acres, so about 15 acres. And there is no public water source where we live available. So you have your own, you put in your own private well. And we were lucky enough, we were able to purchase our land from a family member, but it was raw land. So we had kind of to do the same thing. We had to put in our own septic system. We had to put in our own well, our own house, our electricity, like all of that. We were able to, we have the power company around here. We had to pay, of course, to put in, but we do have electricity. But with the water and the well is such a key thing when you're looking at any property and especially homesteading like you guys were sharing. And for us here in our county and our whole state, but our county specifically, there's a big issue with water rights. So now if you go to purchase any property around here, if it does not have an existing well on it, you are not allowed to put a well in. And if you don't put a well in, you can't get a building permit for occupancy without a water wow. source. It is a really big deal. And if you're looking at property and stuff, that's something that you definitely want to check into is water. I mean, to me, I think that that's probably the most key above a lot of things is the water because we're dealing with that here. Now, thankfully, 
our well was put in prior to that. So we're okay, but it's really stalled any new development and people being able to move into the area. Or if you have a piece of property, the value, of course, it, you're gonna have a hard time selling it if it doesn't have a well on it. But anyways, that's like a side note. But what I was gonna say is when the power goes out here, we don't have solar systems in place to power our pumps. So we don't have water and we do lose power quite often. And we'll go sometimes days, sometimes it's weeks without power. And you're so right. Like it is amazing with a tea kettle full of water, you can take a full shower. I'm talking wash and rinse the hair and the whole body. But when you have that running water, it is, it's like a lecture. You don't really think about it until you have to like you guys. And so it is amazing how we can get by on so much less then we do until we're kind of forced to think about it or in a situation like that when we're actually like, oh, you know, I don't have this available resource. I really have to conserve it. I'm totally with you. And yes, the toilet thing is probably the biggest when the power goes out because no flushing and we don't have those composting toilets. So uh, yeah, going off grid, like there's so many different things to think about. And I'm just, I'm like so fascinated by your guys' story because we don't live completely off grid, but I think it's so great to take those tips and things to think about even in our, our regular lives, depending on how far you're going. You guys have been there for eight years, but I'm really curious because you were total city slickers. I love it. Self-proclaimed there beforehand. But Doug, you came as a city slicker to raw property and you built a log cabin. So where did you guys, like, had you been doing research? Did you have some type of building experience? So kind of talk to me about that. I'm really curious. Yeah, it's about zero building experience, but, you know, helping my friends. One friend sums it up pretty good. He says, you hated cutting grass so much, you started a lawn care company. So, you know, it's just like <laughs> I'd never really done any construction before. I just piddled along with people as maybe they were. We finished our basement one time, and I helped with that a little bit. So nothing really major. So this was an all-new thing. But another thing about Stacy and myself is we're pretty quick learners. And we're not afraid to get our hands dirty. So we're a little bit different in that regard than a lot of people. And it just works out well for us that we just can uh, pick up on things pretty quick. And we're committed to it once we believe in it. And of course, we investigate it. And then we go for it. Yeah, Doug, I always say he's, he's my risk taker. And, <laughs> and then he sees something and he says, you know, I'm going to do it. He'll tackle it. And then he just jumps in with both feet. Sometimes his eyes are closed. He doesn't know what he's getting into, but he always gets a job done. I mean, and he would call his friends. I just remember he'd be in the middle of doing something. He'd call his friends and like, well, what should I do here? What should I do there? And he even put the trusses on to our cabin. We have a 12-12 pitch on the cabin all by himself. He rigged up. How did you do it? Like little pulleys. He did it and did it all by himself one day in the middle of the summer. But he's a hard worker and he gets stuff done. I have to say, you do, you do good, hubby. I think that's key for homesteaders and anybody doing Pioneer Life, like you said, is knowing that you're going to be a lifelong worker and learner and knowing that you're not afraid to get your hands dirty, like not afraid of hard work. I feel like modern society, like everything wants to be push button easy. And not that I don't like to try to find ways to make things easier on myself, but sometimes you just got to do the work and it's hard. And there's something really therapeutic about that. Guys, I'm curious. You got your house in, you moved in, and you have all of that. Now, talk to me, though, about your food production, because that was new for you. And Stacey, you still are even still to this day, you work a couple of days of work and part-time. So you still have some income coming in, but I'm pretty sure that your main goal was to produce as much of your guys' own food as possible. Tell me a little bit about the journey of starting from not really growing anything and having that first failed planter box to where you guys are at now with your food production. 
We definitely wanted to have our own animals. I wanted chickens, we wanted livestock, we wanted to raise sheep and then have our garden. So we would know where our food is coming from, knowing what's going into it, getting the most health benefits out of our foods. That was that. From there, it was the process, you know, we started with the chickens and we started with like four sheep. And then we wanted to emulate exactly how the Amish were doing it. And they all had very large families and they had very large gardens. So Doug and I decided to have a garden the same size as these Amish families. And we went from, we had a 10,000 square foot garden we started with that we plowed with the team of Belgians. We knew nothing about anything. We got the Belgians, we were doing it. I mean, it was a lot of work. We knew nothing about gardening, but we just would ask them questions and we planted this huge garden. 250 strawberries. Yeah, 250 strawberries. Oh, rows of everything. Oh my gosh, I had 150 tomato plants our first year. I mean, <laughs> oh my gosh. we went full force. That first year we had a drought. We did not have any water on the property. So we were pumping water out of the, out pond. Of the pond to do the garden. I mean, I'm telling you, it definitely, and, and that was that first summer that we were here, it was so hot. We had 100 degree days and it wouldn't hardly cool down at night. And we had a drought and it was just crazy. And Doug and I said, if we can make it through this drought and all this kind of stuff, we could do anything. So we were very empowered. And then after that, the next year, God, we learned a lot from that. And then we decided we're going to have to figure out some other systems where this isn't so labor intensive. But we can definitely understand where stores came from because gardening, you know, it looks pretty romantic and you like your little Instagram and Pinterest posts, but gardening is a lot of work. There's a lot of sweat of your brow out there. And if you don't put the work in, you're not going to reap the rewards. Yeah, I agree. And I think one of the biggest mistakes, even for well-seasoned gardeners, like we've been raising all of our own meat and over 60% of our own fruits and vegetables for decades. And I, I really grew up that way. But even in the springtime, when everything's kind of new and you got all the seed packets out or your little baby seedlings that you're starting, everything looks new. And you're kind of caught up in the excitement of like, oh, I'm going to have fresh vegetables again. You know, the dehydrating and canning, like, dude, I love it. But there's nothing like fresh vegetables. That excitement kind of takes over your common sense sometimes, or it just doesn't look like it's that much. And then you get into thick of summer and you're like, oh my goodness, I way overdid it. I think that's really common <laughs> for first time gardeners. Like, <laughs> totally. So that's definitely key. If this is one of your, if you're just getting into gardening, and doing it is to start small and with foods that you know your family likes to eat. Because sometimes gardening does have that total romanticized side to it, especially when you're looking at the seed catalogs and they've got all these gorgeous pictures. And you're like, oh, that looks really fun. Like I want to try it, but it's something you've never had or grown before. I always try to just do one new thing a year to kind of keep it fun, but also to make sure that I don't get a whole bunch of stuff that we don't really like or doesn't even really grow that well. And I'm having to do a ton extra work to just get it to production and harvest phase. So I love that you guys shared that story. And I cannot even imagine 150 tomato plants. We do 20 for a family of four. I'm like, oh my gosh. <laughs> Needless to say, we've now become experts in putting up tomato cages and we've developed a few that we share on our social media platform <laughs> over the years. But I think we've conquered it now with our latest ones. Yeah, because what's so funny is you were saying, you know, people should really kind of start small and kind of go from there. So we started huge. Yeah. And, and then, then we, we gradually <laughs> go, yeah, we went from very minimal. And then now we've got it where we tweaked it in where it's pretty good. Now. Right. It produces what we eat. And then we're also fermenters. So mind you that we were here with no electricity. So everything that we're growing in the garden and all this stuff, like we don't really have a place to put it. We didn't have a root cellar then. 
which we've recently built, and we'll talk about that maybe in a little bit. So it storage was an issue for us, but we are big fermenters. We really don't do a lot of canning. Preserving that bounty was a big deal. And we were learning all that as we were going, wow, this is something like, how did the pioneers do it? How did the people pre-electricity, pre-industrial revolution take care of themselves and have their food? And then we started implementing all of those old ways again, and then through social media, teaching them to people that were blessed with grandparents and mothers and fathers like you and can relearn that information so they can become more sustainable and more self-sufficient. But I will say, we didn't talk about this. When we first moved in here, we were really lucky to meet a lady who lived around the corner. She was an older lady and she was actually one of those original back to landers in the 1970s where she was starting to prep, had the root cellar, she would can, she would forage. And so I got to meet her and she taught me how to can and she taught me how to forage to go out and show me all the things like the plantains and the dandelions and the redbud trees and all the different things, the lamb's quarter and poke, all the things that we have out in nature that we could use. That was really good for me and that helped me tremendously to kind of get started on our journey. Yeah, it's amazing if you can find a mentor like that in person. I mean, and I love social media. I know y'all have a YouTube channel, I have a YouTube channel and Instagram, Facebook, email, website, like all the things that allows us in this day and age to bring back these old time ways to those who don't know it and don't have someone local. And so I feel really blessed to be able to do that. But on the other hand, like you said, if you can find somebody in person to take you around, especially to your local area, because there's certain things in you know, everybody's climate and their little area that are going to be unique to that spot and finding them. And just, it's so invaluable if you can find someone like that. Or once you learn it, like you guys do and I do, is to share and to pass that on to other people. I think it's just an amazing thing. And I've really noticed with most of the people that I have met in homesteading and gardening and getting back to the land are really open-handed with sharing what they've learned with people who want to know it. That's right. We definitely gravitate towards uh, open sourcing. So we find people and like recently we had Dr. Leo on our YouTube channel. He's a natural beekeeper and we're all about open sourcing and he shared free download PDFs for how to build horizontal hives. He puts out these videos with us so we can get information into people's hand because that's empowering. And there's a bunch of people I think out there that are wanting to get back to this type of lifestyle and that are slowly making those steps. Yeah, I agree. And you can do it both ways. Like y'all just kind of jumped in like baptism by fire. Amen. And then a lot of other people are having to do more smaller steps to get there. And I think that's fine. You know, we all have our journey and, and where sure. we're at in life as long as we're making progress towards that. You guys have quite a bit of vegetables now. It sounds like a little bit less than when you first started. <laughs> But then you do sheep and chickens. What do you mainly now do you have to purchase from the store that you're not producing on your own? That might be easier sometimes. I know sometimes for me, it's easier to say the things I do still have to purchase than the longer list of things we produce. Yeah, for the most part, some of the main staples still. We're not really hardcore into like grinding up our own wheat into flour and stuff. We do do it. At the Amish right now, I'll get my wheat berries and things like that, right. you know, 50 pound bags. And then I do have a grinder. So we do do that. I mean, I buy in bulk from the Amish, but right now it was funny. I went to the grocery store yesterday and it's like all my produce is from the garden is rocking right now. I just get fun things. So like if I want a certain kind of blue corn tortilla chip that I really like, you know, something like that, we'll get. Right. But generally everything I have here, we have all of our meat. I have all my eggs. 
We, I do my butter. We have a pond for fish. We have all of our greens. Bees. Pretty much everything we have here. It's just like those silly things that you might want, like those little luxuries. Once in a while, I do get like, I like Ezekiel bread because I can't make it that good. But I do make, you know, now I'm making sourdough yeah. bread and those things. But generally, it was funny. I went to the store yesterday and I thought, really? Now with a garden rock and I don't need to get anything. Yeah, we don't get much there. Yeah, when the garden is in full time, and of course, I'm like you guys, we try to preserve as much as possible. But in the summer months, it's amazing how long you can stretch those trips that you need to go to the store. And at, for us, we don't have a dairy animal yet. And I've got two young kids and they love their milk. So I do still go in and buy local dairy items and that type of thing. So that's probably the biggest thing that we still purchase from the store is dairy. But when we've got so much of the other stuff we're producing, it's kind of like, I'm okay. And I've got the funds to do that. And someday we've talked about getting a dairy animal, but with everything else, we're like, we're okay with that aspect. I do want to talk about though, the root cellar, because we briefly mentioned that earlier. And a root cellar is something that we have not put in here yet. I use some root cellaring techniques without having like an actual full on root cellar. But you guys have an in the ground root cellar. So talk to me, when did you guys put that in and begin construction? And let's talk about that. I'm really excited for this part. So there's a lot of different ways that you can actually construct or have a root cellar. If you can't get into the ground in some places, it's so rocky, you could actually put it above ground, build a room, an insulated room. Some people use like storage containers or, you know, there's many different ways you could actually construct it. And then you would just cover that with dirt and basically make an above ground mound with a cavity in it where you would keep your stuff as long as you ventilate it and stuff. There's some people you could put um, ice chest that doesn't work anymore. You could actually bury that into the ground and then just go into the lid and get into it when you need to. So there's several different ways. We always say do what you can where you are. Uh, but for us, um, we had a couple of different things going on. First off, we live in Tornado Alley. We're kind of in the northeast of Missouri. We just had several tornadoes come through our state. 500 tornadoes in the Tornado Alley just in the last 30 days pretty active in that regard. So we wanted to make sure we had a storm shelter. So I basically built an ICF, an insulated concrete form root cellar, concrete box with a concrete lid and everything in the ground with a dirt floor so we can preserve our food from one season to the next, like our onions and tomato, our potatoes, beets, yeah. all the root crops, turnips, and then all of the fermenting because as the season goes, we're fermenting and fermenting. And we need to keep that in a kind of a cool, dark spot. So to get the maximum R value for our location and through my studies, I found that using the insulated foam, which is like a styrofoam wall on the exterior and interior, and in the middle is the concrete. So you have a, no heat can pass through. So if you have a traditional basement, sure, you could use that for some storage. Um, you probably have it a little more regulated temperature if you live in a house with air conditioning and that kind of a thing. So that would work. But we wanted to really get the most R value and we didn't really have a basement. So we were starting from scratch. So we decided to go with the insulated foam and it's been fantastic. It keeps a very constant temperature in there, probably around 46 degrees. And so far it's working out great. We had to have it as a root cellar and also as a storm area. And actually at one point I was thinking about even having it as a ice house where we, I would cut ice out of the pond and then store it down there for our refrigeration needs. But that plan kind of changed midstream. <laughs> but the root cellar has been a great addition to the homestead as far as sustainability and long-term food storage. 
And then another thing, go with the root cellar, is before we built the root cellar, I guess it was the year before, we also built an outside kitchen because we have a wood-burning cook stove in the house. When we prepare our foods during the winter months, we do it inside, but it gets too hot in the summer months. So I needed an outside kitchen where I could prepare all the things from the garden and to cook outside during the majority, probably of the year. We were going to prepare the foods there and then we needed a place to preserve them or to store them, which would be the root cellar. Yeah. And with the root cellar being at that 44 degrees, it's a little bit warmer than a fridge, but I mean, that's pretty close to refrigeration temperature, which is perfect for storing, like you said, your ferments, because once they've reached that stage, we like them at that those cool temperatures help to keep them there and prolong their shelf life. So are you guys primarily using like larger crocks to store the fermented food in the root cellar or mason jars, combination of both? Walk me through what you're using to hold everything because it's those larger amounts. For me, I really prefer the mason jars. I use the half gallons, the quarts and pints, and I just have tons and tons of the jars because it works out good that way. That's interesting because I find the same thing. Like as the garden produce is coming on for my ferments, I use the gallons or the half gallons and sometimes the quarts, but a lot of time I don't have enough to do a huge crock at once. And I just find it a lot more manageable and easier oh, it's totally to is. use the and mason And also I jars. use the mason tops fermenting kit where they have the mason tops and it's perfect yes. because they fit the mason jars. So that yes. it's just amazing. So that's, I like it. It's simple. It's easy. And then you might get sick of something. So I might want to mix it with something else, try different things. And so each one because I think I would get probably sick of too much sauerkraut if I had big, huge crocs. But I like to just make lots of different things and different varieties. Yeah. Okay. We are two peas in a pod to use a gardening pun there. I was just kind of <laughs> curious to see, to see if you discovered if we had the same experience. I love that. And now we don't have a basement or a garage either. So that's why I'm really looking at doing some more root cellaring techniques and stuff outside. And we've got the land. So we have the space to do it. It's just implementing. But one of the things that we deal with here, and I'm assuming most places of the country do. So let's talk pests because we've got rats and we've got rodents, you know, we've got a barnyard. And so I'm used to dealing with that. But have you experienced any of that within the root cellar or because you've got the concrete walls and the dirt floor, they're not finding their way in? Or how are you managing that? No, you won't find any pests in there. And then on top of that root cellar, actually, I'm building a building. It's a the reason why we turned from the ice situation from out of the pond is that we're building a solar powered workshop right now that's going to also double as a learning center where people can come and get hands on experience. We are basically going to be mentors for folks who want to come and learn the lifestyle. There's going to be no problems with anything going down there. When we first got here, being from the city, we had no clue. Like mice were everywhere. And <laughs> oh, we got to get some cats. <laughs> yeah, cats were in the house, you know. <laughs> You got them, but now really, and then we have guineas that help with the ticks because there's ticks around here. You got chickens. I mean, right now, everything in, is pretty good. We don't really have a lot of pests. The only thing in the spring, you might have a few ants get in the house and those Asian beetles are a pest sometimes, usually in the uh, spring and the fall. But other than that, I mean, it's pretty good. Okay, so you haven't had any issues with any mice or anything getting into the root cellar and the fermented stuff is sealed up in your glass jars yeah. and that's you know and that kind of thing but i'm thinking more the root crops we haven't had any mice problem at all <laughs> we used to okay, see mice awesome. regularly i have not seen them i can't even tell you the last time that i saw a mouse around here what's interesting is so i we had a we have a great mouser but she's getting to be like 13 years old and so she's just slowing down and that's been the past 
by like year and a half that we've ever had any evidence just out, you know, around the pump house and stuff where I'm, you know, making sure now that the chicken feed is totally sealed up and, and that type of thing. So they can't get into it. So I think I'm just going to, my husband's going to love it when I tell him, I think we just need to get a few more mousers. Uh, Cause I yeah, think yeah. she's just we have a great selection. Of yeah, you <laughs> I'm going to do a kitten collab. <laughs> if we live so far away, I'd love it. I'm up in Washington State, so it might get it. a little expensive. You just fly it. I love it. Let's do it. That's what they do now. That's, you know, animal collabs, they just fly them from here to there, and then they, you know, just do your videos on the arrival. You know, I'm not up on that part. I guess I'm just too, too old-fashioned for that on that aspect. <laughs> So you guys have on your YouTube channel, though, you have documented building and your root cell and everything. So people want to go and really check that out in more depth than that's been documented. And we can go and see that. So guys, for the playlist for the water, for the outdoor kitchen, the root cellar, just anything I'm building around here, I try to walk you through and like we do PDFs too. Like I'll go back through and make a list, a materials list and all that stuff to give out to folks if they need it just to help them along. You know, we have a chicken coop that I threw together. It was around 50 bucks. It took me about an hour or less. And that's the most watched chicken coop video on all of YouTube right now. And it's a very functional coop that we use on the homestead for ducks. For everything. Yeah. We're just trying to log in back to the open sourcing, put the information out there for people that are looking for it. And we also share our failures too. I mean, if you watch the playlist on the root cellar, I had some fails in there. So I share those as well. So everyone can learn from it. It's not all rainbows and unicorns like you're gonna have some bummer days but you just have to be solution focused pick yourself up and keep on moving forward yeah and i I think that's so important to say because a lot of times people don't like to share the failures and so if you watch the highlight reel and then you go and try to do it and then you experience a failure and you're like like what did i do wrong i mean and of course when we share those failures you can be like well this is what i did wrong i learned the hard way so you can avoid that but i think it's important that we share the failure days and the hard days because that's the reality and i think if we don't share that that we're doing a really big disservice to people so i'm glad that you guys share that part of the documentation of the journey too yeah yeah so guys we will have in the show notes so if you're listening to this on your phone or as the podcast you can go to melissaknorris.com forward slash 182 because this is episode number 182 and we will have links to Doug and Stacy's the different videos and the playlists and their YouTube channel so that you can go and check it out in a lot more detail for those things and get it so you guys thank you so much for coming on I gotta go and watch the root cellar videos actually let's be honest I need to show my husband right. the root yeah. cellar video. And he'll like it. It's a good <laughs> a build series. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Thank you guys so much for coming on. Do you have anything else that you want to share with the readers? Any little bits of wisdoms or tips for someone going into looking at going into more of a pioneer and off-grid lifestyle? Yeah, for sure. The number one thing I was going to touch on it while we were talking is The number one thing you do for any place that you're looking to relocate to is check their building codes and ordinances. The number one thing we looked at was that. And when they said that we don't have any of that nonsense around here, we knew we had a good spot. Freedom loving good old boys and girls. We just wanted to be able to come here and freely move about our property. So that's a very important thing is to look and make sure the rules and regulations, building codes, any kind of stuff they have. And if you can live within the parameters that they've set forth, then go for it but just check it so you don't get there, start doing something. And then somebody comes down on you with the law about it. 
That's the number one thing of advice. And stay solution focused. Don't look at the problems. Just think about how you're going to hammer through them and get to the other side because that'll keep you a lot better spirited. It'll keep everything flowing a lot better. And another thing is just do what you can where you are, you know, when you're starting and you want to do it, this kind of lifestyle, just start maybe with a garden box or even if you're living in an apartment, have some planners, you know, just start growing and practicing those things. And then we also talk about, you know, people, there's natural disasters and emergencies just to be prepared. Maybe have a, a five-gallon bucket if you're not going to have running water that you could use as your toilet or just have some water that you could have just in case you're not able to get it and just be a little bit more prepared with your life. So, because yeah. it, it, it would help pretty much anybody, but just try to practice these things to kind of help you transition into what you want to do. And thanks for having us. We really did appreciate hanging out with you. And I enjoyed the story uh, with you interviewing your dad. I found that to be very heartwarming. Oh, thank you. Yeah. I have to, I have to confess. It's one of my absolute favorite episodes, but thank you. Yeah. I'm so glad that you guys came on and I look forward to getting to know you better and checking out more of your stuff. So thank you guys. All right, we'll see you around the internet at Off Grid with Doug and Stacy. I hope you guys had as much fun as I did with that and you learned some things and were inspired. And if learning homesteading skills is something that you want to do even more, the Pioneering Today Academy, which is my membership site where I dive deep with video trainings and step-by-step tutorials with download guides on every aspect of going through our homestead. So from planning your crops in the beginning of the year to harvesting them, well, I should say planting the crops and then planting said crops, harvesting them, and of course, preserving them and then using them in your cooking and your medicinal cabinets and all of that. The Pioneering Today Academy is your one-stop place for that. And we're going to be open for enrollment for a very short period of time coming up very soon. So you are going to want to make sure that you are on my email list and the notify list so that as soon as we open the doors for new members, you can get in because we're going to only be open for a short period of time. And then we're closing the doors because we're going to be starting our next Preserving the Harvest series within the Academy. And we're going to have some amazing prizes. And in order to do that, we need to have all of our new members in with our current members so that we can all start together and really focus. So if preserving the garden harvest with canning, dehydrating, fermenting, root cellaring, all of those fun things is something that you're wanting to do, this is going to be the time that you want to make sure that you get your spot. You can get on the notify list at my website. Just click that button that says Pioneering Today Academy at the top, and it will send you to the notify page where you just pop in your email, and then I will send you a notification as soon as we're open. Now, if you happen to listen to this a little bit later and it's during our open enrollment time, you'll click on that tab and it'll go straight to the enrollment page and you can see everything there that you need to on becoming a member. But if you're listening to it when we're not open, you'll want to make sure that you get on the notify list. Okay, so let's move on to our verse of the week. And that is Romans chapter 12, verse 11. And this is the Amplified Translation of the Bible. Never lag in zeal and in earnest endeavor, be aglow and burning with the Spirit, serving the Lord. This verse I have been reading every day since I heard it at church and our pastor was preaching on it last week. Because honestly, I definitely go through periods where I feel like I'm kind of dragging or 
I just don't have the passion for things that I used to. And it usually is kind of cyclical. Like sometimes I'll feel like I'm on fire, like just hitting it in certain areas of my life. And then the other areas, eh, not so much. And I find that usually when I don't feel as on fire with my faith walk, so which where I am spiritually, that it tends to branch out into other areas where I'll just start to feel less motivated or I will really feel the weight of things on my shoulder, just feel like things aren't going quite right or I just feel off. Sometimes circumstantial-wise, there's not really anything that's going wrong per se in your life. And sometimes it feels like everything is going wrong. I think we've all had those different moments. But a lot of the times, like I don't have any major catastrophes or anything like that that is happening, but I just kind of feel off. And I found that usually when I start to feel that way, I've shifted my focus away from the Lord and making sure that I'm staying in Him. Reading my Bible in the morning on my own, spending time in prayer, just communing with Him, that slowly those things kind of slide and go by the wayside. And as I dive into my to-do list and all just those other things that happen in life when I don't consciously make an effort. And while the Lord always opens just back up, you know, his arms are always wide open waiting for us, I kind of feel a little bit guilty. And I know that I'm not really seeking the Lord as much as I should and putting it as a top priority in my life. And that's when I start to get tired and run down in other aspects of my life. But if I put him first and really get grounded in him, then I find that I do have a new zeal for the other things. So I hope that you are never lagging in zeal and in earnest, and that you are aglow and burning, my friend, with the Spirit and serving the Lord. Okay, I can't wait to be back here with you next week.